calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 202. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, week two of Women and Aliens Appreciation Month, a full month of stories about alien life forms written by women. This week, it's our pleasure to bring you part one of a two-part special, Budjum by Elizabeth Baer and Sarah Manette. Elizabeth Baer lives in Hartford, Connecticut. She won the 2005 John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and the 2008 Hugo Award for Best Short Story with her story, Tideline. She's published 14 SF and fantasy novels since 2005 and has more than 40 short stories out since 2003. Find her at elizabethbear.com. Sarah Manette has a PhD in English literature and has several novels out. Melusine in 2005, The Virtu in 2006, The Miradori in 2007, and Corambus 2009, and in collaboration with Elizabeth Baer, A Companion to Wolves in 2007. Her short stories have appeared in Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, Alchemy, Weird Tales, Strange Horizons, and here on the Drabblecast. You can find her at sarahmanette.com. Bujum was first published in the excellent original anthology of fantasy and SF pirate stories, Fast Ships, Black Sails, edited by Jeff and Anne Vandermeer. And like I mentioned last episode, it's set in the same strange, Lovecrafty Lewis Carroll space opera universe as the Drabblecast 2010 People's Choice Award-winning story, Mongoose, which we ran back in early July last year in episodes 170 and 171. Definitely go give Mongoose a listen if you haven't yet. Bujum's not quite a sequel or prequel to the story in any sense, but certainly related and equally badass, exploring the briefly mentioned massive living ships to which the formidable Bandersnatch was described as being nothing more than a small case of indigestion. Oh boy. We've got a full cast to this story also. You'll hear the voices of Graham Dunlop as the character Dog Collar, and also Delianne Forgay as Captain Song. They're both fantastic voice actors, and you'll find links to them in our show notes. 
The bulk of the story, however, is read to you by actress, producer, professional voiceover artist, and smoking hot blonde, Naomi Mercer. Based out of Los Angeles, Naomi's roles and clients include video game characters in Mass Effect 2, Witchcraft and Champions Online, and G.I. Joe, and also voiceover work for Code Baby Inc., Lockheed Martin, Virgin Mobile, and BMW. You've also heard her on the Drabblecast quite a few times. She regularly does professional voiceover workshops at guitar centers up and down the West Coast, so if you're interested in exploring and enhancing your skills in that area, check out her website to get hooked up, naomimercer.com. All right, my hearties, pass the rum till you're three sheets to the wind, but poop the deck and ye walk the plank. Without further ado, we bring you Bujum by Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Monette. The ship had no name of her own, so her human crew called her the Lavinia Watley. As far as anyone could tell, she didn't mind. At least, her long, grasping veins curled affectionately when the chief engineers patted her bulkheads and called her Vinny, and she ceremoniously tracked the footsteps of each crew member with her internal bioluminescence, giving them light to walk and work and live by. The Lavinia Watley was a budgem, a deep space swimmer, but her kind had evolved in the high, tempestuous envelopes of gas giants, and their offspring still spent their infancies there, in cloud nurseries over eternal storms. And so she was streamlined, something like a vast, spiny lionfish to the Earth-adapted eye. Her sides were lined with gas bags filled with hydrogen, her veins and wings furled tight. Her color was a blue-green so dark it seemed a glossy black unless the light struck it. Her hide was impregnated with symbiotic algae. Where there was light, she could make oxygen. Where there was oxygen, she could make water. She was an ecosystem unto herself, as the captain was a law unto herself. And down in the bowels of the engineering section, Black Alice Bradley, who was only human and no kind of law at all, loved her. Black Alice had taken the oath back in two after the Venusian riots. She hadn't hid her reasons, and the captain had looked at her with cold, dark, amused eyes and said, So long as you carry your weight, Cherie, I don't care. Betray me, though, and you'll be going back to Venus the cold way. But it was probably that, and the fact that Black Alice couldn't hit the broadside of a space freighter with a ray gun, that had gotten her assigned to engineering, where ethics were less of a problem. It wasn't, after all, as if she was going anywhere. Black Alice was on duty when the Lavinia Watley spotted prey. She felt a shiver of anticipation that ran through the decks of the ship. It was an odd sensation, a tick Vinny only exhibited in pursuit. And then, they were underway, zooming down the slope of the gravity well toward Seoul, 
and the screens all around engineering, which Captain Song kept dark most of the time on the theory that swabs and deckhands and coal shovelers didn't need to know where they were or what they were doing, flickered bright and live. Everybody looked up. The blot that might only have been a smudge of oil on the screen moved as Vinny banked, revealing itself to be a freighter, big and ungainly and hopelessly outclassed. Easy prey, easy pickings. We could use some of them, thought Black Alice. Contrary to the e-ballads and calm stories, a pirate's life was not all imported delicacies and fawning slaves, especially not when three quarters of any and all profits went directly back to the Lavinia Watley to keep her healthy and happy. Nobody ever argued. There were stories about the Marie Curie, too. The captain's voiceover fiber optic cable, strung beside the Lavinia Watley's nerve bundles, was as clear and free of static as if she stood at Black Alice's elbow. Battle stations, Captain Song said, and the crew leapt to obey. It had been two solars since Captain Song keel-hauled James Brady, but nobody who'd been with the ship then was ever likely to forget his ruptured eyes and frozen scream. Black Alice manned her station and stared at the screen. She saw the freighter's name, the Josephine Baker, gold on black across the stern, the Venusian flag for its port of registry wired stiff from a mast on its hull. It was a steel ship, not a bujum, and they had every advantage. For a moment, she thought the freighter would run. And then it turned and brought its guns to bear. No sense of movement, of acceleration, of disorientation, no pop no wump of displaced air. The view on the screens just flickered to a different one as Vinny skipped, apported, to a new position just aft and above the Josephine Baker, crushing the flagmast with her hull. Black Alice felt that, a grinding shiver, and had just time to grab her console before the Lavinia Watley grappled the freighter, long veins not curling out in affection now. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Dog Collar, the closest thing that Lavinia Watley had to a chaplain, cross himself, and she heard him mutter, like he always did, Ave grandiavissimi morituri vos salutant. It was the best he'd be able to do until it was all over, and even then he wouldn't have the chance to do much. Captain Song didn't mind other people worrying about souls, so long as they didn't do it on her time. The captain's voice was calling orders, assigning people to boarding parties, port and starboard. Down in engineering, all they had to do was monitor the Lavinia Watley's hull and prepare to repel boarders, assuming the freighter's crew had the gumption to send any. Vinny would take care of the rest, until the time came to persuade her not to eat her prey before they'd gotten all the valuables off it. That was a ticklish job, only entrusted to the chief engineers. But Black Alice watched and listened, and although she didn't expect she'd ever get the chance, she thought she could do it herself. It was a small ambition, and one she never talked about. But it would be a hell of a thing, wouldn't it? To be somebody a bujum would listen to? She gave her attention to the dull screens in her sectors and tried not to crane her neck to catch a glimpse of the ones with the actual fighting on them. Dog Collar was making the rounds with sidearms from the weapons locker, just in case. Once the Josephine Baker was subdued, it was the junior engineers and others who would board her and take inventory. Sometimes there were crew members left in hiding on captured ships. 
Sometimes, unwary pirates got shot. There was no way to judge the progress of the battle from engineering. Wasabi put a stopwatch up on one of the secondary screens, as usual, and everybody glanced at it periodically. Fifteen minutes ongoing meant the boarding parties hadn't hit any nasty surprises. Black Alice had met a man once who'd been on the Margaret Mead when she grappled a freighter that turned out to be carrying a division's worth of marines out to the Jehovian moons. Thirty minutes ongoing was normal. Forty-five minutes. Upward of an hour ongoing and people started double-checking their weapons. The longest battle Black Alice had ever personally been part of was six hours, 43 minutes, and 52 seconds. That had been the last time the Lavinia Watley worked with a partner, and the double cross by the Henry Ford was the only reason any of Vinny's crew needed. Captain Song still had Captain Edward's head in a jar on the bridge, and Vinny had an ugly ring of scars where the Henry Ford had bitten her. This time, the clock stopped at 50 minutes, 13 seconds. The Josephine Baker surrendered. Dog Collar slapped Black Alice's arm. With me. He said, and she didn't argue. He had only six weeks seniority over her, but he was as tough as he was devout, not stupid either. She checked the Velcro on her holster and followed him up the ladder, reaching through the rungs once to scratch Vinny's bulkhead as she passed. The ship paid her no notice. She wasn't the captain, and she wasn't one of the four chief engineers. Quartermaster mostly respected crew's own partner choices, and as Black Alice and Dog Collar suited up, it wouldn't be the first time if the Josephine Baker's crew decided to blow her open to space rather than be taken captive, he came by and issued them both tag guns and x-ray pads, taking a retina scan in return. All sorts of valuable things got hidden inside of bulkheads, and once Vinny was done with the steel ship, there wouldn't be much of a chance of coming back to look for what they missed. Wet pirates used to scuttle their captures. The Bujums were more efficient. Black Alice clipped everything to her belt and checked dog collar seals, and then they were swinging down lines from the Lavinia Watley's belly to the chewed open airlock. A lot of crew didn't like the look of the ship's face, but Black Alice loved it. All those teeth, the diamond edges worn to a glitter, and a few of the ship's dozens of bright sapphire eyes blinking at her. She waved unselfconsciously and flattered herself that the ripple of closing eyes was Vinny winking in return. She followed Dog Collar inside the prize. They unsealed when they checked the atmosphere. No sense of wasting your own air when you might need it later, and the first thing she noticed was the smell. The Lavinia Watley had her own smell, ozone and nutmeg, and other ships never smelled as good, but this was... this was... Oh, why did I kill her? Why didn't I spice it? Dog Collar wheezed, and Black Alice swallowed hard against her gag reflex and said, One will get you twenty, and we're the lucky bastards that find it. No takers. They worked together to crank the open hatches they came to. Twice they found crew members, messily dead. Once they found crew members alive. Gillies, said Black Alice. Still don't explain the smell, Dog Collar said, and to the Gillies, Look, you can join our crew, or our ship can eat you. Makes no never mind to us. The Gillies blinked their big wet eyes and made finger signs at each other and then nodded, hard. Dog Collar slapped a tag on the bulkhead. Someone'll come get you. You go wandering, we'll assume you've changed your mind. 
The ghillies shook their heads, hard, and folded down onto the deck to wait. Dog collar tagged searched holds, green for clean, purple for goods, red for anything Vinny might like to eat that couldn't be fenced for a profit, and black Alice mapped. The corridors in the steel ship were winding, twisty, hard to track. She was glad she chalked the walls because she didn't think her map was quite right somehow, but she couldn't figure out where she'd gone wrong. Still, they had a beacon, and Vinny could always chew them out if she had to. Black Alice loved her ship. She was thinking about how, okay, it wasn't so bad, the pirate game, and how it sure beat working in the sunstone mines on Venus, when she found a locked cargo hold. Hey, dog collar, she said on her comm, and while he was turning to cover her, she pulled her sidearm and blasted the lock. The door peeled back, and Black Alice found herself staring at rank upon rank of silver cylinders, each less than a meter tall and perhaps half a meter wide, smooth and featureless, except for what looked like an assortment of sockets and plugs on the surface of each. The smell was strongest here. Shit, she said. Dog Collar, more practical, slapped the first safety orange tag of the expedition beside the door and said only, Captain will want to say this. Yeah, said Black Alice, cold chills chasing themselves up and down her spine. Come on, let's move. But of course it turned out that she and Dog Collar were on the retrieval detail too, and the captain wasn't leaving the canisters for Vinny. Which, okay, fair. Black Alice didn't want the Lavinia Watley eating those things either, but why did they have to bring them back? She said as much to Dog Collar under her breath and had a horrifying thought. She knows what they are, right? She's the captain, said Dog Collar. Yeah, but I ain't arguing, man, but if she doesn't know... She lowered her voice even further so she could barely hear herself. What if somebody opens one? Dog Collar gave her a pained look. Nobody's gonna go opening anything. But if you're really worried, go talk with the captain about it. He was calling her bluff. Black Alice called his right back. Come with me? He was stuck. He stared at her, and then he grunted and pulled his gloves off. The right, and then the left. Oh, shit. He said. I guess we order. For the crew members who had been in the boarding action, the party had already started. Dog Collar and Black Alice tracked the captain down to the rec room where her marines were slurping stolen wine from broken-necked bottles. As much of it splashed on the gravity plates epoxied to the Lavinia Watley's flattest interior surface as went into the marines, but Black Alice imagined there was plenty more where that came from, and the faster the crew went through it, the less long they'd be drunk. The captain herself was naked in a great extruded tub, up to her collarbones in steaming water dyed pink and heavily scented by the bath bombs sizzling here and there. Black Alice stared. She hadn't seen a tub in seven years. Still dreamed of them sometimes. Captain, she said, because Dog Collar wasn't going to say anything, we think you should know we found some dangerous cargo on the prize. Captain Song raised one eyebrow. And you imagine I don't know already, Sherry? Oh, shit. But Black Alice stood her ground. We thought we should be sure. The captain raised one long leg out of the water to shove a pair of necking pirates off the rim of her tub. 
They rolled onto the floor, grappling and crawling, both fighting to be on top. But they didn't break the kiss. You wish to be sure, said the captain. Her dark eyes had never left Black Alice's sweating face. Very well. Tell me. And then you will know that I know. And you can be sure. Dogcaller made a grumbling noise deep in his throat, easily interpreted. I told you so. Just as she had when she took Captain Song's oath and slit her thumb with a razor blade and dripped her blood on the Lavinia Watley's decking so the ship might know her, Black Alice, metaphorically speaking, took a breath and jumped. Their brains, she said. Human brains. Stolen. Black market. The fungi. Me go. Dogcaller hissed, and the captain grinned at him, showing extraordinarily white, strong teeth. He ducked submissively, but didn't step back, for which Black Alice felt a completely ridiculous gratitude. Migo, Black Alice said. Migo, fungi, what did it matter? They came from the outer rim of the solar system, the black, cold, hurtling rocks of the opic Urt cloud, like the Bujums, they could swim between the stars. They collect them. There's a black market. Nobody knows what they use them for. It's illegal, of course, but they're alive in there. They go mad, supposedly. And that was it. That was all Black Alice could manage. She stopped and had to remind herself to shut her mouth. So I've heard, the captain said dabbling at the steaming water. She stretched luxuriously in her tub. Someone thrust a glass of white wine at her, condensation doing the outside. The captain did not drink from shattered plastic bottles. The Migo will pay for this cargo, won't they? They mine rare minerals all over the system. They're said to be very wealthy. Yes, Captain. Dogcaller said when it became obvious that Black Alice couldn't. Good, the captain said. Under Black Alice's feet, the decking shuddered, a grinding sound as Vinnie began to dine. Her rows of teeth would make short work of the Josephine Baker's steel hide. Black Alice could see two of the gillies, the same two? She never could tell them apart unless they had scars, flinch and tug at their chains. Then they might as well pay us as someone else, wouldn't you say? Black Alice knew she should stop thinking about the canisters. Captain's word was law, but she couldn't help it, like scratching at a scab. They were down there, in the third subhold, the one even sniffers couldn't find, cold and sweating and with that stench that was like a living thing. And she kept wondering, were they empty or were their brains in there? People's brains going mad. The idea was driving her crazy, and finally... Her fourth off-shift after the capture of the Josephine Baker, she had to go look. This is stupid, Black Alice, she muttered to herself as she climbed down the companionway, the beads in her hair clicking against her earrings. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Vinny bioluminesced a traveling spotlight, placidly unconcerned whether Black Alice was being an idiot or not. Half-hand Sally had pulled duty in the main hold. She nodded at Black Alice, and Black Alice nodded back. Black Alice ran errands a lot for engineering and sometimes other departments, because she didn't smoke hash and she didn't cheat at cards. 
she was reliable. Down through the subholds, and she really didn't want to be doing this, but she was here, and the smell of the third subhold was already making her sick. And maybe if she just knew one way or the other, she'd be able to quit thinking about it. She opened the third subhold, and the stench rushed out. The canisters were just metal, sealed, seemingly airtight. There shouldn't be any way for the aroma of the contents to escape but it permeated the air nonetheless. Bad enough that Black Alice wished she had brought a rebreather. No, that would have been suspicious. So it was really best for everyone concerned that she hadn't, but oh, gods and little fishes, the stench. Even breathing through her mouth was no help. She could taste it, like oil from a fryer, saturating the air, oozing up her sinuses, coating the interior spaces of her body. As silently as possible, she stepped across the threshold and into the space beyond. The Lavinia Watley obligingly lit the space as she entered, dazzling her at first as the overhead lights, not just bioluminescence here, but LEDs, chosen to approximate natural daylight for when they shipped plants and animals, reflected off rank upon rank of canisters. When Black Alice went among them, they did not reach her waist. She was just going to walk through, she told herself. Hesitantly, she touched the closest cylinder. The air in this hold was so dry there was no condensation. The whole ship ran to lip-cracking nosebleed dryness in the long weeks between prizes, but the cylinder was cold. It felt somehow grimy to the touch, gritty and oily like machine grease. She pulled her hand back. It wouldn't do to open the closest one to the door, and she realized with that thought that she was planning on opening one. There must be a way to do it, a concealed catch or a code pad. She was an engineer after all. She stopped three ranks in, lightheaded with the smell, to examine the problem. It was remarkably simple once you looked for it. There were three depressions on either side of the rim, a little smaller than human fingertips, but spaced appropriately. She laid the pads of her fingers over them and pressed hard making the flesh deform into the catches. The lids sprang up with a pressured hiss. Black Alice was grateful that even open, it couldn't smell much worse. She leaned forward to peer within. There was a clear membrane over the surface and gelatin or thick fluid underneath. Vinny's lights illuminated it well. It was not empty. And as the light struck the grayish surface of the lump of tissue floating within, Black Alice would have sworn she saw the pathetic, unbodied thing flinch. She scrambled to close the canister again, nearly pinching her fingertips when she clanked it shut. Sorry, she whispered. Although, dear, sweet Jesus, surely the thing couldn't hear her. Sorry, sorry. And then she turned and ran catching her hip a bruising blow against the doorway, slapping the controls to make it close already. And then she staggered sideways, lurching to her knees, and vomited until blackness was spinning in front of her eyes and she couldn't smell or taste anything but bile. Vinny would absorb the former contents of Black Alice's stomach just as she absorbed, filtered, recycled, and excreted all of her crew's wastes. Shaking, Black Alice braced herself back upright and began the long climb out of the holds.
And that was part one of our story. Hope you enjoyed. Sentient fungi, contraband brain cargo, space buccaneers, hell, what's not to enjoy? Part two is going to totally blow your minds too. Hope you can hold out another week. So hey there, a great way to make sure we're still open shop next week is to chuck us a donation. That's pretty much our sole means of revenue, and we rely on your donations to pay authors and feed the boojum without having to shove ads and other annoying things in your face. It's about as pure and honest a system as you could possibly get. If you like the show, help us out if you can. You don't have to, but it'd sure be spiffy of you. Drabblecast.org's the website. Drop by and check out our support options. All right, then, mateys. Been a long day here for old Captain Norm. Gonna catch some shut-eye in me quarters for a bit. But first, let's get to this week's 100-character story winner by Reuben Hinman with this fun little story. Lucy ran as hard as she could from death, but she couldn't get away. So death hauled her away. Dying on a treadmill sucks. Nah, you can't run from that old fella, Death, but I guess you can make him work his ass off to get you. 100 character stories, we call them twabbles because they fit nicely into a Twitter post, and we pick a weekly winner from the twabble section in our forums, and do just that. Chuck it out on Twitter. Follow us there if you're interested. We're at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it or sell it to the Mego, but feel free to share it with all the scallywags you like. Special thanks this week's awesome episode artist, Caroline Parkinson, one of my personal favorite artists from our pool. Check her out at carolineparkinson.blogspot.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a couple pirates without standards for PDA, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, you can join our crew, or our ship can eat you. Make snow never mind to us. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.